Welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com, where the discovery of self has put a show away. With a thousand plus archive shows and new shows coming to you every Tuesday, we bring you illuminating people from around the globe. Visit our store for their services and books and enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Positive Vibrations Roundtables, where I bring back guests that I've interviewed before because they're awesome, and we're going to be talking about some really interesting topics. My name is Sarah Troy, and my guest is Lilith uh, Amahaya and uh, Janet Wesley. Um, we're going to be talking about autism, and we've done a few shows on autism before, trying to understand it, um, trying to take away the limitations of what people think of it and both of these mums here have autistic children. Uh, Janice Child went on to write a book and, and get a degree and Linus's child is actually in uh, college. So this myth about them being a waste of space and they'll never amount to anything is a whole load of excuse me bull. And um, mm -hmm. they know that, they've lived that. But we haven't done a story on raising an autistic child and the difficulties that can be had because of it. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. The sacrifices they had to make, the obstacles that they face, not just with their child, but with the system. And how they find to, um, found the tools to manage it and what kind of support you can give people who um, who are parents of autistic or, or any kind of mental disorder or mental challenges, I prefer to put it. When we are, are there to support one another, not in judgment, but in understanding, everybody becomes a lot, lot, uh, a lot better for it as a community as a whole. So let's, um, let's briefly hear their story into it and then get into what they want you to know, um, the difficulties, where they need the help, and what we can do as a society to make things better. So welcome to the show, Janet and Lillis. Thank, Thank you very you much. So much. So I'm, forward to it. I'm going to hit each one of you up first to kind of just give a brief, uh, a little synopsis of your story and how it all happened. So Janet, we'll, we'll hit with you first. Sure. Well, again, thank you, Sarah, for having me. Um, I believe my insight for everyone listening today is from the actual parent perspective, as you said, and, and the view on how our family's journey uh, was living with autism. My daughter, Jenny, was diagnosed with low-functioning autism at the age of three years old. And I remember sitting in the specialist room being told uh, that she would never talk, do well in school, never be where her peers are, um, never work at a bank, never get married, and it went on and on and on. I remember walking out of that room going, that's not going to happen. And I can humbly say, as you had mentioned, uh, Jenny is a best-selling published author of her book, Dysnomias, the first of a trilogy. She is also a professional 2D, 3D animator. And a short film that she worked on is uh, just getting its release and viewing date that we'll be going to um, next month. So uh, my perspective, I, I'm, I'm a parent. So my perspective today and insight today uh, will be from a parent's perspective. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. Um, medical background in the field of autism. However, I've spent hours, days, months, years uh, working alongside professionals, non-professionals with my daughter. Um, I've lived the day-to-day -day experience with autism for 22 years now. I've seen all the highs, the lows, the ins, the outs, what works and what doesn't. And with my parental knowledge... Um, and being assertive, which I never was before, um, I have had teachers, medical people, and um, 
daycare staff say that my perspective and insight um, has been a positive learning tool. But you have to push. And when you have a child that has autism, um, you're their sounding board. You're their voice. You're their you're their rock. And Jenny is is a living living proof or role model that um, no matter what been said to you at the beginning and I know a lot of parents feels like you've been hit by a semi truck um, a lot go through the crack because they just feel that what the doctor said is true and they can't go ahead um, but it doesn't have to be no matter what level your child is with their autism you've got to give them the best that you can and 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 push for it you're not being aggressive or mean you're being assertive and you're being there you know for your for your child and that's why I wrote my book the autistic author and animator um, not to tell families what to do, but to give some insight and enlighten people about a family's journey with autism and show what worked for for, for us. Um, you have to be that mother bear and you have to um, give all your perspectives to each avenue that you're working on to get, get the help for, for your child. Yes, it's hard work. However, I have to say the beautiful experience that I've gone through with my daughter I feel special and lucky and humbled and honored to to be to be her her mom. Um, I know a lot of people it's hard to keep that positive perspective, but one one must um, to be able to, to get through it. Wonderful. Um, and you know it's so good to see parents standing by and fighting for the children as it should be. Lilis, share your story. My story is similar to Janet's, but we sort of veer off in different ways. Um, like Janet, I was in a paediatrician's office and was told that my child was severely autistic, that he would never go to university, he would never go to normal school, and I was pretty much told to go away and have another child. Um, the language turned a little bit blue after that, <laughs> as I basically told the paediatrician exactly what I thought of somebody putting boundaries on a child quite so young and I marched out of that office pretty much like Janet did going this is not going to happen and I was already um, a therapist at the time and it decided that I needed to go and study with the best minds and doctors and scientists in the world to turn this around and that is pretty much what happened and you know now I've been a sort of a helpline to you know the parents I work with autistic children and the parents all the time and Tom is doing brilliantly he's 17 six foot two working in a college um, and learning how to do stained glass windows metal work uh, green woodwork and is absolutely you know functioning brilliantly somewhat eccentric and I can take him anywhere but I think one of the things that Janet touched upon is so important because parents do tend to give their power away to the doctors initially. Um, they're going through a bereavement for the child they thought they were going to have and all of their hopes and dreams are removed from them. You know, are they going to get married? Are they going to leave home? Are they going to go to university? And, you know, are they going to be living with them for the rest of their lives? And this whole future that you kind of had mapped out in your mind is turned on its head. But through that um, adversity, we turn out to be very, very different people. And the children, because of the parents getting behind them, have the opportunity to do a great deal more. There is so much potential in these children. They are capable of the most amazing things. And through that, 
the parents become amazing parents too because they have to do things they never ever dreamed that they could do or would do and their journey is also tough really tough at times but my goodness they are the most amazing individuals for it afterwards and um, it's a very enriching experience on all levels so there's always hope there's always a solution to everything you just have to be resourceful in finding it and it's great that there are a lot of people out there who can now offer that experience janet does it through her book her daughter's done the most amazing um, work with the film she's offering lots of hope and i do it through helping parents being a therapist so lots to talk about here exactly <laughs> Exactly. You know, one of the things I want to touch on, though, is that you're two, you two are very strong women. And I think kind of strong in yourselves even before you were given this challenge. But there are some people that may already have a few children, maybe a rocky marriage, um, you know, kind of feeling a little insecure of themselves. And then all of a sudden they get given this child and they go, oh, why me? And it's, you know, this is where I think that the support from people around them, you may not understand what autism is, but this isn't a time to kind of pass any judgment or, you know, say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, this is a time to step up as a community, as a family, and, uh, and support, you know, the, the parents that are going through this. What would you say would be the kind of the first initial thing that you need to do to, for somebody who's just kind of being given that diagnosis. I'll start with you, Janet. Well, you know, that's, a, that's very good what you've mentioned here because uh, at one of my book signings not too long ago, I had a young 24-year-old woman, very nice, nice, nice young lady, and she had just, her son had just been diagnosed with autism. Same, same age as when Jenny was. And she broke she started crying and I came around from the table and I gave her a great big hug and I said it's all going to be okay and I sat and talked with her and basically sort of guidelined where I started and I said number one just take a deep breath hug your child and unconditional love is the number one thing I says not only with you and your family and if there's a sibling involved but the people that are working with them, who I called, in my case, my dream team. Um, I think the early intervention is very key to mention to a parent, but a parent also has to learn to take care of themselves, too. Mm. Um, I think we get so involved in taking care of that child and so involved because they're siblings and you've got a husband if you have a husband, um, you know, things like that. And I, one thing... Sorry about that, folks. Retrograde must be in, in play. We had a drop, but we're back again. And Janet was talking about taking care of ourselves, taking care of yourself as a, a mother of an autistic child. Would you like to finish that off before we go to uh, Lilius? Yeah, sure. Uh, I just think it's very important. I, I think um, a parent is so um, concerned and overwhelmed to take care of their their child they want to do this out of love and unconditional love and they want to be there 110 percent for them so um, it's very important to take a step back and look at yourself and take care of your your own body both mentally and physically and in doing so you are more prepared and are there for for your child and this is the same I feel with your family um, you know, the siblings, like my son, um, he was going through exactly what we were going through. Um, my husband um, what was going through the same thing as well. So you have to be there for each other. I, I, 
respite care is awesome. Um, Travis and I used to go for date nights. Uh, Chris and I would go to the swimming pool or, or we'd go see a show that we'd like. So it's a very important to give each other that care and, and that love and to take that, that respite time. And in return, it was great for Jenny because mm -hmm. Jenny was able to learn how to socialize with other people. She was able to come out of her routine at home and be able to go into someone else's house and communicate with them and, and be in sort of like a stranger's home, which in fact, uh, one of the families are like our second family. It got to the point where Jenny was so comfortable that she did sleepovers. So in return, respite um, gave us all something. So I'm glad that I decided to, to take it instead of thinking, oh, I'm the only one who can take care of Jenny. So it's a blessing for, for everyone in the family. Yeah. And actually, it's something that transcends, uh, I think, every family, no matter what, you know, because mums are inclined to kind of pour themselves into children at, you know, and be sacrificial. Um, yes, exactly. Lilith, my darling, what, do, what was your technique in kind of giving yourself time? Um, I think for me, it's it's not it's also you have to look after yourself that's really important and there is a sort of one does parents do are sacrificial of themselves but i think it's the isolation that people um aren't prepared for when you get the diagnosis your whole world collapses and you know you grieve for the child that you thought you were going to have you know the husbands also you know get in a bad way because they think what have they done wrong there's a, there's the blame game that goes on silently or is is uh, talked about but i think what a lot of people don't understand is not only do you need to look after yourself but you need to not allow you and your family to become isolated as you've got a, a child that's acting out and not behaving in a way that other people deem as normal they stop inviting you out you stop being invited to other people's families um, the, the birthday parties start to disappear. The, you know, the, the weekends away that you would have had with your husband stop happening because you don't trust people to look after your child. So not only does the marriage become, you know, if you like a sacrificial lamb, but the whole family gets sacrificed. You know, the siblings don't go out and see other children as much because the mother's too tired. She's not integrating with other parents because she's too tired looking after the one child at home so my comment here more than anything and this is with my practitioner hat on the listeners if you know a family has got an autistic child in you know within the family then please make an effort to invite that family over and spend time with them give that mother the support you know invite the husband you know for a pint down the pub you know, get them to do normal things because all of those things start to disappear. And when they start to disappear, life becomes pretty grim. And it's really, really important. I used to run a business called Special Horses for Special Children. We did circus tricks with horses with the entire family uh, where they had a, an, an able-bodied um, special needs child and it, they were predominantly autistic. And mother would arrive absolutely shredded and the first thing we do is put a glossy magazine in her hand and a large mug of whatever was her preference and go sit and do nothing because she wasn't used to doing nothing. And the father would be shown how to participate with his children because he felt like a glorified wallet half the time because mother did everything. So a lot of the time, you know, he may not have mentioned it, but he felt very emasculated. 
because he didn't know how to cope with the autistic child. In her eyes, a lot of the time, and this is um, not typical of every family, but many families, he basically um, just, just stepped back and stepped back and didn't know how to be a part of everything. So we got him to play with the children that were neurotypical and to you know be a part of what was going on. And the child that had the difficulties, we gave them the therapy. So the whole family needs looking after. It's not just the mum, it's the whole family. And the, the siblings feel so isolated and ostracized. They have to give up so much because their you know, baby brother or older sister you know, has the difficulties, gets all the attention. So it's really important that they are given that space and they're given that time to express themselves fully and they're not separated. I completely agree with you know both of what you've said is very very important but I would like to hit actually on other children uh, kids are cruel horribly cruel and uh, <laughs> you know when it when it comes to you know the the kids that are you know the siblings are at school and then there comes somebody in the playground you know you've got a retard you've got a this you've got a that and it's just awful what happens you know and they're now they're defending you know their sibling they haven't got the tools to cope with it it gets into a fight it now now you have their dysfunction on top of everything as as well so you know what kind of tools are there that you can actually help that child be empowered you know have have their own um, weapon so to speak when the, when the fight comes to them yeah, I remember with, with uh, Chris. Chris, um, I had Christopher 13 years before I, I had Jenny from another marriage. So Chris was a little bit, little bit older, but still, he was in his teenage years. So in your teenage years, you're already going through the teenage crises and mm. things that happen. So he had this on, on top. But I will commend Christopher. Um, Christopher and I would sit down and talk. Um, I'd have books about autism because, um, like I was saying to you, Sarah, in a previous interview, I didn't know what autism was myself. Um, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. So Christopher and I together did go on this journey. We spoke with people. We read books. And let's face it, as a family with autism, you're living with it 24 hours a day. So it's being all put in front of you. So what Christopher and I talked about is the unconditional love of loving Jenny and accepting Jenny for who she was and being able to cope with the situations. Sometimes it's just breathing techniques. Sometimes it's just understanding what she's going through. An example one time was we, we had to get Jenny out in the public. She was always having fits where she'd bite herself, hit herself, scratch herself. But the thing was, she had to learn that she had to go out in public. So I remember one time we went to this restaurant and the looks were there, the people chattering underneath their breath. And it was upsetting, but we still had to get her out. And I remember she started having a fit because sometimes the lights would bother, the sensitivity of people, too many people. Um, and she went right underneath the table. And I just kind of looked at her. We had her special stuffy, her drawing things, everything that she liked. And my son finally looked at me and he said, Mom, you eat your, your supper here. I'll, I'll take care of Jenny. He went underneath the table. He played with her with her stuffy. He drew with her. He calmed her down. Um, and then when he came back up, um, he looked at me and says, Mom, they don't understand, but we do. And 
I just kind of looked at my son because he got it. And I almost started crying right there. But you know what? All the people around us that were talking, silence. Not mm-hmm. another word was said, not another look was given. Christopher was understanding how to react. Christopher was understanding the unconditional love because he loves his sister. But it was reading books. It was just seeing it naturally come come through and, and, and how to deal with it. And being there for him. I mean, you he understood I had to be there for Jenny um, more so than for him. But I was also there for him. But he understood he had to step back a bit. He watched Jenny. He, As each day grew, he learned how to be with her in one way. Um, he learned with her how to react in another way when she had her fits, when she um, when she was calm. So it was a whole, you know, a, a day-by-day learning experience. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, uh, were your children younger um, around this time? Tom is my middle son, and there are about 18 months difference between um, the older lad, and uh, there's actually a much younger one as well. So Tom was in the middle, and Seamus had um, huge difficulties at times, and you know there was a lot of angst at times. We went through phases where he would, you know, outwardly say, "I hate it. I hate the fact that you have got given me an autistic brother," and it was really, really hurtful. Um, having said that, I hear this with other parents. I'm kind of like a helpline for thousands of autistic parents, and you know, many siblings go through this, but they do come out the other side, and what what transpires with most of them is they are the most incredible human beings because they've had to be brought up with an autistic sibling. They learn to respond instead of reacting. They learn to see a situation and behave in a way that most people wouldn't understand. They have wisdom way beyond their years because of what they've had to live through. And um, it, it's absolutely extraordinary and going in in life because of those very early lessons that they've had no choice but to live through they are the most incredible human beings they understand compassion they understand love they understand um patience 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 is the biggest one absolutely janet and they understand how to think outside of the box and be creative and how to rescue a situation with humor yeah Um, we had um you know puberty is a difficult time and I can remember being at home one day and Tom's not a small lad and we're all watching a lovely film one day and he suddenly stands up and drops everything and goes, Mom, I've got a problem here and it sort of starts showing his sort of genitalia and goes, I've got a hair here. <laughs> and, oh, oh, my God. Um, so we just basically said, okay, that's absolutely fine. That's great you've shown us. Thank you so much. And we're all laughing quietly put it away and carry on and basically <laughs> nobody we laugh we're not we're not particularly phased because this is what you have to deal with whereas yeah. in, in that situation you know people would be getting really distressed and in a state it's kind of like whatever it's a bit of a body get on with it yeah um, and you know you you learn to laugh you learn to laugh at the mm. most extraordinary things your humor level you know is it goes beyond i think being a parent you see everything through different eyes when you've got an autistic child. I mean, there's, there's a lovely fridge magnet that I have in the house that says, you can't scare me, I've got children. Humor's the best medicine. It, it, it yeah. really is. No matter what scenario, whether it be autism, I went through breast cancer, you got to put the humor in it too. You've, you've, yeah, you it's kind of, 
you learn and you become a bigger, better person for it. The lessons are tough, they're huge, but at the end of the day, you become a much better person for it. Well, you do, and, and Lilith is right. She explained it right to a T. You, you learn from this. I, I learned from Jenny. Christopher learned from Jenny. My husband learned yeah. from Jenny. This was a beautiful experience. I know at times there's the hardness of going through it. There's the ups and downs, the highs and lows. But boy, oh boy, when I wrote this book, the therapeutic of what I saw, what we went through, what our whole family went through, but how it brought us even more together and how how she taught us so many things that uh, that's the beauty in it, in it too. I mean, but that's the gift that you had that you came through it together. And, you know, there are so many people, you talked about the isolation, um, you know, and there's a lot of spouses that just simply can't cope with it. You know, they feel isolated. They're not a part of it. Everybody's trying to work this out. Maybe they haven't reached out for the support. Maybe the support wasn't there. Um, and especially kind of coming from family, because there seems to be an awful lot of judgment. What did you do wrong? Why is this child yeah. like this? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it really is imperative, isn't it? Right from the very beginning, from that diagnosis, is that you reach out to that knowledge that's already out there and find out really what your next step is, what to do, what to expect, because if you don't do it together, you're going to fall apart. Yes, and you know, um, and actually it was not all of it because of this, but it was part and parcel part of it with, with my ex and I. He totally would not accept. Um, he said I was wrong. I mean, I was literally spat in in the face, papers thrown at me. Um, he just said that, that she didn't have this. As a matter of fact, when he went to go see the psychiatrist that Jenny was seeing, um, he scared the psychiatrist so much he had to have his assistant with him because it was that, you know, he was that disapproving and uh, just just would not accept the scenario. He just said that Jenny was bad. She just needed her bum spanked really hard, go without food for that evening. And of course, myself, I thought, no, this, this, this can't go on. This girl needed unconditional love. She needed acceptance for what was going on. And that just wasn't something that he wanted to give. So that there had to be a split there because Jenny would never ever be where she's at today if I'd have stayed with this this man. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, with in any marriage, no matter what's going on, you know, at some point you do have to honor, you know, yourself. And there are an awful lot of people who are just unwilling to accept, you know, that this is the fact of what it is. But it doesn't have to be a stigma. That big word, stigma. Yes. Oh and, yeah. Uh, let's yeah. let's hit that one. Let's take take us away with that one yeah. there's, there's something here that I think is really important for parents and again I've got my clinic hat on here um, you're talking about reaching out for help and certainly in the UK a lot of the help groups are groups of autistic mums who are a little bit further down the track and the you have to be careful because they do have a lot of knowledge they've read up a tremendous amount however they only know what's worked for their child. And some of them get very um, strident about this is the way to do it. Every single child is unique and different. And just because it's worked for their child doesn't mean to say it's going to work for mm -hmm. your child. So it's really important that they get a wide variety of advice and they, they go with their instincts. They go with their gut feeling very much as Janet did. You know, it wasn't gonna work with our husband with his attitude go with 
whatever therapy, whatever feels right instinctively. The second thing I would like to mention here is there are three phases that I think all parents go through when they get um, a diagnosis. The first one is something that, you know, Janet's husband appeared to be exhibiting is denial. Mm -hmm. There is a problem. You know, they need to be, you know, spanked. They need to be um, disciplined. Um, If they'll grow out of it, um, it's your problem. It's not my problem. So there's a huge amount of denial. And some parents take years to come out of that at the cost of the child going forward. The next phase that many parents go through when they realize that there is a problem, there is the cause. We have to make sure this doesn't happen to other children. We have to alert everybody and tell them and get out our placards and our banners and get onto Facebook. And this is all very well and good, but that is a huge amount of energy that is taken away from the child. And they get so wrapped up in the cause that they neglect their child throughout all of this. And then finally, they come to acceptance. And the acceptance is actually, we have an issue here there is so much that can be done. We're going to do it cohesively as a family. And then everything blossoms and comes out and is beautiful. But your child or your children will always mirror the state the parent is in. So if the parent is in a place of acceptance and acknowledgement of what is and is has a sense of humor and is caring and loving and all right, stressed at times, we all get there then your child will be mirroring that. If you are stressed and strung out because your husband's not coming home uh, because he's down the pub with a floozy because you've not been able to give him his jollies, you've not been able to give him the attention that he needs, the children are going to press your buttons. So keeping that family unit together is so important and making sure that the help that is required is there and you get the right therapeutic help, whether it is medical, biomedical, play help whatever it is make sure it feels instinctively right and that everybody participates because when everybody participates it works yeah and I I just gotta I I just gotta chime in here because I so agree with with what she's saying because that's one thing I always mention when I do speak engagements or when I uh, book signings I when parents are coming up to me I want I do let them know that I wrote this book not to tell people what to do. That is not why I wrote it. I wrote the book to just engage and enlighten what we went through um, or how our life was with with autism Um, and not to say, you know, you got to do it this way or that way because I totally agree. Um, Each autism level is different. Each person is different and that you can't, um, you have to do what works for you. So my story is what were me. And when I talk to other um, autistic parents, I tell them, you should write a book of what you've done with your life and with your child and spread the good news. It's why I joined ANCA, because I've heard so many different stories from people all over the world, how they work with their child, with their 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 autism. Um, and to get together with groups of people. I went outside of the country, too. Um, to get help. I went to the Options Institutes from Massachusetts. I couldn't go there because I was a single parent, couldn't afford it, but boy, they sent me tapes and they sent me videos and I shared that with the daycare, I shared it with um, the people, the professional people, and we worked together as a team. So it's true, it's whatever works for for you um, and, and the child. Sorry, just had to chime no, that in no, there. But um, I'd like to take it back to, you know, the 
you know, the, when the reason why the person is in denial is a lot of it is that they're if they feel ashamed or there is that stigma. You know, there's something wrong with them that's created what they think is wrong with the child. You know, when we're looking at an autistic children, they're just literally firing on, a, on different cylinders. They're communicating in a different way. Uh, they're just as gifted as, as our regular children. Uh, it's just that uh, the communicational skills and the way they see things are different. And we yes. have to step into their world. Um, and understand what their language is so we can communicate, not demand that they step into ours. So it's, uh, as you said, it do, you can take you know, a dozen different autistic children and each one of them is playing a different note. Um, yeah. But if you stick into it and, and you create that harmony, you'll be able to have that connection. And if you are in denial or if you are in that, that stigmatization of something's wrong, you know, um, I couldn't possibly, I'm perfect, I couldn't possibly have a flawed child, stop looking at the child as being flawed. Yes. It's just purely a gift that uh, is here to teach you, the patients, the love, uh, the coming together, how to interact, communicational skills. Many, many ways autistic children are a wonderful lesson. Lilith? Hey. Um, I, I'd like, there is something here that um, is very dear to my heart that I would like to say because these children are amazing. Mm -hmm. They're never going to let society down and generally rape somebody. Right. They're not going to go and murder somebody. They're not going to rob a bank. They are. They generally are the most gentlest souls. They exhibit the most amazing unconditional love. Half of them aren't capable of lying because they don't know how to. And they are not going to let society down. So I think it's high time society got behind the parents, the children, and supported these extraordinary individuals. I quite agree with you. I quite agree with you. Um, I have a young gentleman that um, came on a couple of weeks ago who is autistic. Um, he's a postman by day and he's a DJ by night. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and old fashioned DJ where he puts on the number and then speaks about it and then, you know, goes on to the next song. And it's and for him, it's about living in gratitude, living in, in, in love. And it's in a lot of ways, there's so much for us to learn from them of the simplicity of life and the true value of what life really is instead of overcomplicating it, which is what we like to do because we think we're superior. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, like you talked, and, and this is something I've always said, I, I want to bring out the, the positive autism. I want to shed this stigma box that's still around it. I yeah. mean, these individuals are such a huge asset to our society and to the workforce. I mean, I remember when Jenny was in high school, the teachers would say to me, this is such a loving, caring and genuine human being and spirit. She said she wouldn't hurt a soul and she is so honest. They said, we wished every student was like her because when an assignment is to be done, she has it done right on time and she'll come up to us and say, I don't understand why the other students haven't got their assignments <laughs> done. And they've got this quirkiness about them that I love. There's this quirky personality and spirit that's 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 in them that I, I truly love. and. I was telling Lilius um, yesterday about how um, Jenny has changed so much. People who saw her back when she was young and having the fits and, and who she was to see her now and this calm, soulful spirit that she has with that still that bit of quirkiness that's still, that's still there. So I think it needs to be shed um, and it needs to be shown what an asset they are to society. There, I just heard there's a... There's a place in Germany, um, it's a workshop, and they have um, 
people, they like hiring autistic people because they do the job, they're hardworking, and they're generally funny and, and a joy to work with. Right. And I think that's what, what you were saying, Sarah, we really have to shed this stigma box. I always say that it needs to be shed and shown genuinely who these individuals are. But you know, I have um, I'm I'm a, a reader, um, an intuitive reader, and uh, I remember reading for uh, this uh, read for her child. She had an autistic child um, who was playing up a great deal and um, a lot of tension going on there, and she just was losing her ability to, to kind of communicate. And through uh, the reading, which um, he gave me 40 minutes, which kind of blew her away that he gave me that amount of time. I was be able to translate to her what was going on um, because he was not able to articulate how he felt, but he was mirroring, as you said, the stress, um, the, the confusion, the frustration, everything that the mother was going through, that the father was going through, the child was feeling. And actually the child felt happier with the, um, the sitter, the other person who uh, took care of him, because she was peaceful. And yes. that he loved to communicate in colors and he loved to communicate in this way. And she said, in 40 minutes, you've told me more about my child than anybody else has. And mm. it's because I was lucky enough to just tune into that child and hear the sub-level of the communication and not go with what was going on on the surface. And it helped her kind of understand how she needed to interact and what she needed to do. So the, it, there isn't, it, not every autistic child is going to go out there and be able to hold down a job or you know, yes. go to college. There are some that are going to, be, you're going, they're going to be dependent all their lives, but you really need to kind of look at every resource you can to find an avenue that, uh, where you communicate with them. Um, what was that movie that was done many, many years Rain ago? Man. What was it called? Rayman. With Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise? No, there was another one. It was a, a parents that had autistic child and everybody was saying, throw the child away. And they started an institution and they literally would go into oh, the Oh, Sunrise, room. America Continues. Yeah. I know Sarah and Bernard Kaufman. They're in my book. I well, That's the group I reached out to F, um, when Jenny was young. And they're the ones who sent me the tapes and communicated. And they were very happy that I put their you know, ideas and that in my book because I learned a lot from them and parallel play and other things to do with Jenny, which is a big reason why Jenny is where she's at today. Exactly. Too. So, I mean, that's really what we have to do, isn't it? Is that what, what cylinder are they firing on? How do we communicate and tune into them? As I said, and stop, dem stop them demanding to tuning into us. Lilith, what? Um... I th one of the things that I wanted to uh, pipe in on, you were talking about um, subconscious uh, emotions they didn't quite understand them there is a extraordinary clinic and if anybody would like to get in touch with me um, I can give them details of it in Germany and they actually measure the brain waves of um, children and adults and they can look at where the communications from one hemisphere to the other are not matching or not arriving and then create some very special music that is bespoke to that child, mm. which they listen to once a day. And suddenly, I mean, my son was a classic example. He couldn't cope with subconscious emotions. And now that he's listening to this music, he can now um, understand his emotions and deal with them instead of getting upset, frustrated, angry, and all of those things. And it's calmed everything down because they're wired differently. Yeah. And the neural pathways don't always match. This music that they will create 
will enable the neural pathways to start to grow and knit in the brain so they can start to cope with whatever aspect of communication that is missing in their neural wiring. The other thing I wanted to mention was whatever you feed your child makes a massive difference to the way they behave and their demeanor. The more you cut out the um, e-numbers, the plastic foods, the processed foods, um, and the, the more you put in good, wholesome cooking, you remove the grains, you remove the dairy, you make sure everything is organic, that can have a tremendous difference in the demeanor and the behavior of a child. Um, you know, without getting into too much biomedical stuff, but when you start to allow that child to detox gently, again, you can have huge strides forward in what they can assimilate emotionally, mentally, physically, and you know their life can become very different and a lot more positive, and they will then be able to realize a lot more of their potential. But if anybody would like more information on that, um, if they'd like to contact me at liliasarmira.com, then I will be very happy to share some more information. I mean, that's not just autistic children, that's every child. You know, um, we are dealing with uh, uh, diabetes and obesity and ADHD and and all sorts of other labels they want to put out there today. And if we take it just back down to the diet, uh, the overstimuli um, and getting back out to the outdoors, um, you know, having time of doing nothing but being in their own space, we wouldn't yes. have so many dysfunctional children. So, you know, that tip isn't just for the autistic children, that's for every child out there. And, and one thing I did want to touch base on too, Sarah, if you don't mind, um, I have a lot of people that I'm meeting now um, that are concerned, but because of Jenny now just turning tw- 24, a lot of people are concerned what happens after 19, because a lot of the help is gone. And uh, I know for us, we've had two groups, uh, Square Peg Society, it's parent run, that are trying to get the help, because parents really worry, because the ch- child has always relied on, on you, or if they're still living at home, what's going to happen after we're gone? Are they going to have adequate um housing? Are they going to be able to take care of themselves through work? Are they going to be able to do this and that? And I know it's scary for for a lot of parents. I know here in Vancouver, I have the Square Peg Society and also possibilities of of BC. Um, So it's just something to look into because I I have more than um, just a few people asking me about, you know, what are we going to do when they get older? We're concerned and even parents that are older now that I've met at uh, at talks that we've done so yeah. I know it's uh, a big question on a lot of um, older parents minds. Yeah, because it's I mean you know even if they are out there supporting themselves um, there's the emotional support that you're giving them so who oh. is going to step into that place that space that they trust to to continue to give that emotional support and that's where you really have to have that extended family whether it be blood or not right yeah, exactly uh, yes. autistic children need a community don't they but yes, I think also people talk about autistic children, but they're not children any longer. Well, they're young adults. Mm-hmm. This has been around since yeah. the 1990s when it started to really um, kick off and um, the, the numbers have increased you know, horrifically. Mm. These are not children any longer. They're young adults. And it's very easy to fight a cause for little children. Aren't they cute? Aren't they sick? But actually when somebody is six foot two or six foot four, and you know they're not necessarily seen as cute any longer but they have just as much needs the parents need just as much help and as janet rightly said it's very worrying for us they um 
it's at 18 that uh, parents have, a, have to start asking those questions over here. And, um, the, you know, the laws are changing the whole time and the system is an absolute minefield to go through. The councils are doing everything they can not to pay out. They don't make it easy. And the poor parents are yet, yet again fighting yeah. the cause. And yeah. I think, as I was saying, you know, to Janet the other day, you know, you have a, a normal family, they get married, and suddenly, after a few years of having an autistic child, they are extremely articulate talking to lawyers, barristers, council people, your local MP, you know, your local um, doctor specialist. And they have now learned a different lexicon than they had before. They've learned to put a suit on and to go into offices they would never have dreamt of. And, you know, these parents become a force to be reckoned with, not out of choice, but because they've had to. Yeah. And that is a tragedy. And it's true. I, I, I got to admit, Lilius, you hit the nail on the head. I, I was never an assertive person. Never. Well, I'm, I'm very nice assertive, but I have become assertive. And it's so true. Parents, um, you learn so much from this. And, and in looking and seeing what we've all had to, to go through. I mean, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a, um, a person who is a therapist. But... Lilius and I and other parents, we've lived with this 24 hours a day. I mean, I've had teachers. I had one teacher, for example, she gave my book to all of her teachers and Jenny's novel to all of her students because she said to me, after reading your book, I got a parent's perspective. And to me, that is important, essential insight for a teacher to have. Even though I'm not a per se professional, I still have lived with autism. That makes and, you a professional. In my and it does to me. And my <laughs> mother's intuition, she knows that child inside and out. Right. And this is what they saw. So even though you're not a medical profession, it's like Lilia said, we are warriors. We absolutely troop, we troop through the trenches. We climb the slippery mountain slopes. Now we're jumping on top of the peak and jumping over the clouds because we're working darn hard to fight for our children and it sometimes it can be a fight. I gotta say I was lucky. Um, I, teachers, medical professional, they brought me right in. They wanted to hear everything I said. They wanted my input. However, that has not happened with every parent. I have heard some horrific stories for some from some parents. So you gotta fight. You gotta you don't have to be aggressive. You gotta be assertive because and here's my word, you are your child's rock. You are your child's voice and you are their sounding board. And this is where I want to implore and beg the listeners, if they know somebody who is a parent, just think for a minute, Do they are their parents still around? Is there anybody there to rescue them? Are they a single parent family? Just think for a moment that they go home to their loved homes, they're not neurotypical children, everything's lovely, how many nights has that, has that mother had to get up and scrape the excrement off the walls, change the sheets? That lady, that father needs rescuing. Yeah. And if anybody can do anything to basically say, hey, come on around for lunch. I know, you know, Johnny might be a little bit odd at times, but it doesn't matter. I'll, you know, the floor can be easily mopped up. We'd love to see you. We'd How can we help you? How can we support you? Just give that parent some support because at the end of the day, many, many times, they do not have anybody to rescue them. If their parents are alive, they may find that they completely disagree with the way they're bringing the child up. They may be in denial that they have uh, an autistic grandchild. They can't deal with it. They don't want to know, and they need rescuing. 
So please, for the listeners, support your autistic family members um, you know, that, are around, that are around because they need it. They need rescuing. Sometimes it's just a question of coming over with the casserole dish or, yeah, you know, do you, yes. do you need help with the laundry? Um, yes. You know, you know, here's a, a, a video. Watch this movie while I, you know, watch the child. I mean, there's so many little go things shopping. you can do. Just go yeah. have yes. two hours shopping yeah. yes. without a child hanging on to you or taking everything off the aisle or having or a having the fits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yeah. why I love dress bites so much. And I keep oh. hearing in my head when I first, when the doctor first told me, he goes, Janet, you need respite. And I went, what is it? When she told me, I went, oh, no, only I can look after, after yeah. Janet. She looked at me, she goes, Janet, she says, you will see why you need it. Then I realized why I need it. And then after I had it, when you had those couple hours of shopping, when you go on a date night with your husband yeah. or you go as a family to go, go swimming. And like I said, in return, it's the best thing for your child, too. It's a tour yeah. for it's because yeah. if mummy's calm, the child will yes. be calm. Yes. yes, and of course the you know the thing is sleep. We know when we're you know sleep deprived, oh. nobody functions properly. So, you know that's really important too. And I'd like to take it over as we've touched on it, but um, school. You know you've you've now got your child in the system. Um, they're obviously kind of marked as a special needs child, and half the time the teachers are not prepared. They're not given any training on how to deal with autistic children. Um, and I know here, you know, we used to have, um, I had somebody who was in home ec and she used to have autistic children in there, but each one of them had their own helper. And then all of a sudden those helpers were cut out. And she said, you've given me a classroom of 30 children. And some of them, you know, with, with challenges and they're, they're cooking things with fire and heat. There's going to be a catastrophe along the line here. And uh, to them, it didn't matter. And eventually she retired because she couldn't take it anymore. How do we educate the teachers? Um, should it be that when your kid's going into the school, you sit down with the principal and the teacher and you speak to your child's triggers, your child's needs? You know, because they really do need that education so they can give your child an education. Well, here's my insight on, on, on what we did as a family or what I did. Um, before Jenny went into uh, kindergarten, um, I went into the school and had quite a long say conversation with the principal, the secretary, the uh, some of the teachers, the Learning Resource Center, and we went right in the Re Learning Resource Center. Uh, we also had the kindergarten teacher come to our home so she could get an insight on who Jenny was, what she was like, because as soon as she walked into our home, Jenny knew a stranger was there. Something was different, the fit on. Um, but she stayed with us and she got to know Jenny and what to expect when Jenny comes to her class. So I, I, I stress to parents that is very important to get to know the school, the principal, teachers, the Learning Resource Center, what they offer. and. I was very fortunate. They always let me put my input in elementary school. I always did. I would go to learning resource classes with them. One time they said they were doing something with Jenny, and when I came to check, they weren't doing it. So you have to check on that to make sure. Then in high school, we did it again. I went to the high school, talked with the learning resource teacher, talked with the principal, the te teachers. Jenny, um, the principal, which was nice, the principal from the elementary school, talked to the principal there. We had the learning resource teacher take Jenny all around the school so it wouldn't be all, you know, up in her face her first day of school, know where the lockers were, know where the cafeteria was, where the learning resource center was, where the counselor was, everything like that, so that she could 
you know, have the bearing on what it was like and not just be thrust into it. So there's another thing. I think it's important to do it in the elementary and the high school because it's a whole change of pace. And her high school was big. Like there was like 900 something students, which is really, you know, in her too much in her face. But it helped and it, and it worked. And I think it's very important to, to do that. Have a teacher come to your home environment. You go to the school environment. And the same with, with the child and, and the teenage child is, as well. Lelis, what, uh, what did you do? Um, the same, but we're not as fortunate as obviously Janet was. Um, the idea of teachers coming to your home and having a look with, is absolutely amazing. Sadly, it is not the case in the UK. Um, everything is risk assessed. You do need to go and absolutely go into the school, um, meet the teachers, make it very clear what's going on. But I would go further than that. I mean, we have you know social services and lots of people supporting, but everything needs to be in writing. Make sure it's in writing in triplicate for every teacher that is um, being um, that will be teaching your child. It's very very important. And as Janet said go in and check sometimes because you know if they can you know money comes into it they can avoid doing something for the cost of it they will we're quite lucky in this country that uh, where there is a great need there will be a one-to-one -one assistant for children who need the extra help you have usually have to fight for it but it does mean that the child has a much better experience of being educated in this country but yeah absolutely go into school get everything written down get it risk assessed and uh, in triplicate. Yeah. You know, I mean, when we think about it, um, everybody learns in a different way. You know, some people are visual or tactile or need to, you know, need to um, uh, understand it in different ways. And we really um, have to kind of tune into which way our child receives information. And I think, you know, we, we're inclined to just send our children off to school and hand them over without any data. And I, you know, I had children, um, um, they're apparently diagnosed with um, a, a, um, ADD, not ADHD. And my husband had it. And, and uh, what did the, the specialist get? He said, you have um, OMD, um, mother overload was what it <laughs> came to. You have mother <laughs> overload <laughs> because I had all these <laughs> ADDs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and, I, <laughs> and I had another child that because of all the fever she had when she was young, Apparently the neurons weren't were firing properly and, and there were certain aspects that she just couldn't comprehend and we had to work through it. But I found that when you did interact with the teachers and you gave them some insight on how your child receives. I remember going to talk to my son's teachers and I was saying, I think, you know, Tyler has a learning disability. And he says, no, he has a selective disability. You know, when he loves what he's doing, it's 150%. When he doesn't, you can't even communicate with him. And uh, maybe it was the ADD or maybe that is just children in general. So why aren't we teaching them on the level that they truly receive the information you know, that they get excited yeah, about it? Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I remember running a couple of years back when uh, some teachers were having the strike. And I remember them saying to me, oh, Janet, she says, this is one of the reasons why we're striking is because there's not enough um, special assistant teachers. There's There's not enough classes to, to teach autistic and ADH and other students with learning dis disabilities and they deserve this. They richly deserve to have as much as the schooling as a child. I always say Jenny's normal with autistic, you know, with autism, but 
this is what I found and what I had actually personally personally what I my, what I did um, because of the daycare I had an awesome daycare Br'er Rabbit they were gone said um, Jenny was a very visual learner so we had visual cue cards and everything was visual she learned a lot by play therapy as well and we brought that into the, the school um, and uh, she had the play therapist, but we always made sure, you know, she had her time for play. It wasn't always just therapy, 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 but there's time for play. There was time for, you know, helping her with this, and, and visual cue cards worked really well with her, and that was brought also into the school system in, in kindergarten and, and grade grade one. So that's important to, you know, to um, have it. It helps the child and it, it helps the teacher because now the teacher knows her. which tool is going to help, right? I mean, Lillis, you, what was your son's way of receiving um, um, knowledge? Oh, we had Makaton. I think children learn, these children learn a lot more visually, but I mean, they're all different. But I think if you're looking to find a school one that is going to work with a child with disabilities and or autism, I think one of the most important things you can ask is, do they have a quiet room? Mm. Do they have a sensory room? Because it is very overwhelming for them. And when they can't cope and there is a meltdown, they need to be taken somewhere that is quiet, cozy, got the right colors in it, and everything that they need to bring them down. So when they are looking, not only are you looking for the risk assessment, you're looking for the um, engagement with the teachers that they will work with you, not for you, but with you, and they will accept your suggestions, but you need to know that there's a quiet room. There are some schools, we're very lucky in this country, there aren't many of them, they actually have sensory swimming pools with lights and things on them. There are sensory rooms with sort of bubbles going up and down the sides and nice warm sounds. And so it doesn't, it might be sounds that calm a child down, it might be lights, it just might be, you know, warmth. Uh, something uh, uh, that holds them in a big heavy blanket they like to be held sometimes and it's that um, physical pressure but know that they have the facilities to support not only the good times but the bad times yes. right. difficult times I should say I'm actually going to ask Nara about how do you discipline an autistic child because, <laughs> you know, because obviously it's going to be very different to the way you would do your own child, you know, do no, a, a regular child. completely. We were talking about that yesterday, <laughs> yeah. weren't we, Lillian? <laughs> One of the biggest issues that I have, I mean, you know, I've been looking, with, looking after parents with children for over 20 years. If you do not teach your child, regardless of what its disabilities are, from the get-go, the difference between right and wrong, on whatever level they can understand it. By the time you've got a strapping boy that may be 14, 15, they may be six foot two, six foot three, and you actually turn around and go, no, because it's dangerous and they're not used to hearing no, you could have your, your lights punched out. It's very rare, but some of them get very aggressive because they have always had their own way. You discipline a child the same way as you discipline any other child, but within the parameters of which they can understand and you do not give any quarter because if you do they will rule your life they will rule your family and life becomes very difficult and then it becomes a greater upset because social services come in people the police get called in because you you're out on a street something might have happened they don't understand the situation and the child has to be restrained it then becomes frightening it gets out of hand and it's totally inappropriate all of this could be avoided if from the get-go your child was not treated any differently to the siblings. I can take my son Tom, he's 17, he's six foot two, he's nearly six foot three, I can take him anywhere 
and I do not have to have any cause for concern because I know he knows how to behave. It might be a little eccentric, but he knows how to behave and what is right and what is wrong. And as and you're saying, they like that balance anyway, right? They like order. So yes, that, that right and wrong is giving them that order. You know your boundaries, you yeah. feel secure. If you yeah. don't have any boundaries, you don't feel secure. Right. It's the same animal. We're no mm -hmm. different. Yeah, yeah, no, and it, and it's that routine that I know Jenny still, although she's getting a little bit into the gray area now. She's usually just black and white, but she's getting a bit into that gray area. But she, uh, you you teach them the way you do your other children, another child. They um, they have to learn right from wrong. They have to learn manners. They have to learn, you know, the please, the thank you, and, and, and things like that. Um, I've just always been that way with Jenny, but I do it in the realm that she can handle being disciplined. Um, yes. But the discipline was still there. She'll tell you herself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because she's I like I just said, she's normal. She has autism, but she's still normal. And a normal child, you discipline and and you still you still give them the rights and the wrongs, the ins and the outs. And when they've done something wrong, they have to pay the consequences right. of it. Because like Lilia said, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. She's got a little bit different than I do. She's got a strapping boy. I've got a a, a young lady <laughs> that's five foot seven, but you know she's um, more she's quiet and she. Um, but you know, if if things bother her, Jenny can get very sensitive. So, but she has to, you know, like I said, that you learn the right from the wrong. I have a, a story that I think highlights this very nicely, and it's actually with a young girl. Um, one of my clients, uh, when I was running special horses for special children. She was about a 14-year-old girl, quite a strapping girl, I might add. Yeah. And we took her into a room, and I asked her if she would do something, and she said no. And I said, well, we're all doing it, so I would really appreciate if you would do it. She ended up throwing chairs across the room, throwing Ooh. tables across the room. Um, at home, she was pulling her sister's hair. She was kicking her younger sister. Her sister's life was horrific. And the parents didn't know what to do because this young lady was now of a size, although she was only 12 or 14, that if she wanted to throw a tantrum, it did some serious damage. Mm. And the parents came and said, oh, no, no, let her do it. And I went, absolutely. We had a stand down for three hours, and I would not move from that place until she had picked up all the chairs and put them back, turned the tables back on their legs again, and rearranged the room how it was when she walked in. And I took the parents away and I just said, this, we're not moving from here. And this is what she needs. This is what needs to happen. And the parents were a little bit surprised, but they understood why I was doing it. And um, they, you know, it, it took, it took three, and a half, three, three and a half hours. They rang me the next uh, two, three days later and basically said, we've had the best three days we've ever had with her. She's not kicked her sister. She's not pulled her hair. She said, please and thank you. She's been an absolute dear. I saw that child two more times and had similar occurrences, but not quite so dramatic because she knew that when I said something, I meant it. Right. And that child has now gone on to go into a normal school. Yes, she's still getting extra help, but the family dynamic is now so much happier. If you say no, mean no. No is probably one of the most valuable words you can say. It's not said often enough. You can say it in other ways. But if you're going to do something and you're going to say you're going to do something, whatever you do, do it. I'd like to hit into another area now, which I, I don't know about um, the UK, but I know in North America, especially America, is really prevalent. Um, you're hearing all the time, 
of uh, people um, being arrested because their behavior mm. looks a little erratic and out comes the gun and out comes throwing up against the car and you know there has been shootings and uh, um, clearly no training you know with the cops and how to deal with you know autistic children or anybody with or uh, autistic adults or anybody with um, you know some mental disorders uh, there clearly has to be some training in the police yeah. force um, because we're hearing this way too often um, and we're, what would you suggest just of you know um, as a start of uh, of how to to react to I think the police are in a very, very difficult position. It's very hard if something's going down to go, excuse me, are you autistic? You know, yeah. to, to actually ask the question when something's going down. They have Their job is to preserve and protect the public. We are very lucky that in this country, um, our police don't carry guns quite to the same extent that they do um, in America. But again, I think this comes back to discipline. If the child had been had the opportunity of being brought up in a loving family where they had boundaries, then there would be less violence, you know, going on. But I do think it, the police are in a very difficult position. Um, but but there have actually been cases where they're literally maybe just in a little distress, but they're not hurting anyone. They just yeah. See what 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 I think I think what I think difficult. needs to be done is I think the police system as a whole. And especially like here, as we've said, is in the in Canada, in the states where, and even more prevalent in the states where guns are there. I really do believe that the police, because of autism, on such a rise. And I, I have seen Sarah too. I've seen recently things about um, people being shot that have been with an autistic child or autistic adults being thrown to the ground, being tasered. Mm -hmm. There needs to be on both sides. There needs to be. Um, I think there actually needs to be a workshop or something that the police go into to learn about this aspect of what autism is, because a lot of them still don't know the actual essence of autism. They need to find out all about that. I also think there needs to be something on the adult individual, whether it's yes. like a penicillin brand or something, yeah. to say that they have autism. So before they start attacking them, or something to show, or even a light, a colored band, but it's known worldwide or countrywide right. that autistic. And I do strongly believe, and I'd be the first one to go talk as the parent side to the police to have a specific workshop or something specific done so they can understand. Autism is too prevalent. There's too many stories getting out there, even more so now of, of autism people being hurt, um, uh, bullied or, or, or whatever. And it's by the police too, bullying by the police. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can give you a good example of how something like that can work. Um, Tom, for years, has worn a badge that says, uh, please be gentle with me, I'm autistic. It's a big badge and it's got it in red on it. And it's great because when we're in public places, uh, he starts talking to people, he'll talk to anybody. They actually spend the time to speak with him and they can see this badge clearly displayed on him. Um, and he's quite proud to wear it. He's proud of being autistic. Um, we've made it totally acceptable. Yeah. But it means that people give them the time of day. And people, instead of sort of going, oh, this conversation's going on about dinosaurs, it's eccentric and turning on their heel, they actually spend that extra time. They're very gentle, they're very understanding. And I think something like that, you know, people go, oh, I don't want to be labeled. But actually, there's a time when it can be really helpful, right. really productive, and really positive. They have to be, like you said, it's, it's, um, there's nothing wrong with being autistic. I mean, look at some of the people we know, look at Temple Grandin. I didn't even know Dan Aykroyd was, um, um, uh, 
the inventor. I mean, these people um, have worked through. Like it's like I always say this. I, I said it before. They've they've trekked through the trenches. They've climbed up the slippery mountain slopes. They're on their clouds now. They're they're showing that autism can be a positive. Um, yes, in their life and in our lives, and that we can learn from. So many people that have read my book are not autistic, don't have autistic autism in their family, and they go, "Wow, um, I've just got a whole brand new outlook on autism." And, wow, your daughter, everything she's gone through, we want to do a Jenny. So th it should be proud. So they should be respected. This is what yeah. I feel happening. They're not getting the respect they deserve. They're not getting because um, it's misunderstood because people don't exactly. know about it. And, and you know, exactly. it's not just autism. It's it's you know anything and post traumatic stress disorder. You know, I do many many yes. shows. I'm I'm working with a, a group called Bravo Seven Four Eight, and they're all veterans in their in their business, whether it's police or whether it's uh, veteran returnings, and the honesty that's coming out of them, you know, admitting that they were raped as a child or admitting, uh, you know, the traumas that they've been through. In the past, yeah. never would they have been given permission to be themselves or speak to these type of things. And I think what we're doing nowadays is basically saying, stuff your stigma. This is my truth. This is the truth of so many people. What happened to me um, may have defined my life in, in reaction, but it doesn't define who I am. And, you know, having that badge on you, you know, uh, there's an awful lot of people out there with post-traumatic stress that if they get the wrong trigger, they Absolutely. can, you know, they can lose it. And I think everybody should have that badge, you know, yes. what they have. Yeah, we're, 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 we're taking away the stigma then. We're, we're saying this is, treat me this way. It becomes an yeah. invitation. Help me, help yes. me, support me. Yeah. yeah. And there are right, Sarah. There are so many. You watch. I've watched programs on TV about the war veterans from Vietnam, and and recently there was a death in Eastern Canada of a fellow who ended up killing himself and his family, and he was going through mental post mental stress from being in the war, yeah. and he was dying and asking for help, but wasn't getting it. He was kind of medication sideswiped. And then just thrown out. Yeah. One young man with mental illness really needed help. He ended up committing suicide because he wasn't getting the help that he was dying and asking, pleading for. And it's very, very sad. Mental illness is is so out there and it just needs to be dealt with in a different manner, in a humane manner. Yeah. I mean, these fellows went out to Vietnam for their country. They've come back. They've I even remember my dad talking about World War II, having his friend blown up beside him and going up, driving on a Jeep the wrong way and ended up in Germany and him and the other guy driving were flying back out. But I think it really still affected him down down the road. I mean, even though per se it wasn't shown, yes. but when he talked about it, you could see it in his face. When that, and that, that era, and you will know this, uh, Lillis, you know, my, I'm British, brought up in England and my dad was a pilot. Um, you didn't talk about it. You yeah. didn't share it. It was, you know, stiff upper lip, suck it up. And it ate them from the inside out. And we have got to stop that. You know, we have to on all levels, no matter whether we have mental stresses, post-traumatic, we, we've got to have that permission to speak pain because that's the only way we release it. But it also becomes an understanding. It also becomes an education for other people. And the reason why we keep repeating things in life is because we're not speaking to them not recognizing them and not changing the pattern. Um, and uh, comes think, down to compassion. Yes. yes. And I'm not saying it's not as important for women, but men and boys a lot. You know, in the older days, you're supposed to 
keep it inside. You're a man. You know, you're not supposed to express your feelings. You're not supposed to be sensitive. I did not do that with my son. I says, express yourself, be sensitive. And I know over in Australia where he's living with his family now, his her, his wife's girlfriend goes, do you have any more guys like Christopher? He's so sensitive to a woman. And just like, so, you know, but he's men, a lucky lady. Yeah, yeah, very lucky never, lady, very, yeah. Men were never, even my husband, Um, he, he, when he goes to cry, he goes, oh, yeah. he puts that, you know, yeah. that chest out, that man thing. I said, Travis, it's okay to let it go. It's okay to express Yeah, it's feelings. so, so important it's because important. the Not more, the English way, the though, more is it, <laughs> you said, the more room for joy there is. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's funny. My, my mum's from East Finchley, London, and I saw that in her, you know, that, 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 that way and how she talked about her family and how the mum and dad were with the brother and, and that. So it's... um. It's very interesting how different countries, different ways of, of families. and, and In our era, um, and I'm older than both of you, but, you know, it, I was um, a, a child that was never meant to mount too much because I had some learning disabilities. And basically, it's, well, let's just hope she makes a good marriage. And that was oh. all that was expected of me right oh wow so you know it's that's the stigma that uh, you know has been around for so long um mm. you know you've got a flaw uh, so therefore you're disposable or you know you're an embarrassment we're just this hope somebody else picks you up and kind of you know you live your limited life and i think that the people that actually have any form of challenges in life you know be it mental, uh, mental physical or emotional and they've decided to rise up, face those challenges, come through them and be that inspiration for other people are the gift that we're receiving right now because it yes. shows us exactly how awesome we are as human beings and how much we can overcome. And especially if we embrace all those beautiful imperfections because that's what makes us each individually perfect. Yes, and you have perfect. to, you have to love limits. yourself. Yeah, I love that. You have to love yourself before you can love anybody else, else. And yeah. love yourself for the good and the bad points a good friend a good hubby a good person is one who accepts you for who you are the quirks yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. um and, and when you accept yourself for who you are with no exactly. apology no exactly <laughs> yeah well, I learned that from Jenny too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're a lot to be learned from our from our kids and all nails. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I know who those who are going to listen to it is going to be so enlightening for them, whether they have autistic children or not. I mean, you know, we're dealing with more and more kids with ADD. We're we're dealing more and more um, post traumatic with with kids. Even you know, there's so much that. Uh, even the parents who are going through things, you know, if you're post-traumatic stress or person with disabilities, yourself raising a child, there's a lot to learn here from the show today. So I hope that everybody's really picked up some good, share it amongst your people, have a conversation, um, give it to your teachers, your parents, those people around you, and let them actually understand what, you know, what uh, parents of autistic children or anybody with a, a mental challenge is going through. Because the more you know, the more compassionate you can be, the more you can do, and the better society we become. So in closing, would you both like to just uh, close off with a few words? Well, I closed off this with Lilius, <laughs> Lilius yesterday, but I just wanted to, just, it's very short and sweet. It's It's from... From, from the book and it's Lisa Balcom she was Jenny's learning resource um, teacher in high school and she said to me that Jenny had come with a label and though she agreed that Jenny didn't talk much she maintained that Jenny listened very well 
Lisa said when Jenny spoke, she spoke with purpose and wisdom, choosing her words carefully. She also said that Jenny took a different path, not the one expected. She would choose her path carefully, always keeping her final destination in mind. And even when the path appeared to be too steep or treacherous, Jenny forged on. And one perspective that we shared about Jenny, and one that is my favorite, and always brings me to tears, but I'll try not to, was that she thought the label, although we don't like labels, but said, but she meant this well, should have said, the best is yet to come. Lisa added that she was so thankful to have met and been with Jenny and that Jenny reminds her every day that, and this is in quotations, a story is not written until the author writes it. And Jenny and Lillis's son Tom and all the autistic individuals out there is a great writer. Beautiful. And would you also give people your site and how people can reach you? Yes, it's www janet wall so j-a-n-e-t w-a-l dot wix site spelt w-i-x s-i-t-e dot com forward slash autism connects if they want to email i would love it i have a listening ear it's janet wall at telus dot net so j-a-n-e-t w-a-l at telus t-e-l-u-s Dot net. I'm here for you and I have a listening ear. Thank you, Janet. And you, uh, Lillis. Um, I would just like to say to um, the listeners, it's been an absolute pleasure having them uh, listening to us today. And to keep in mind that there is always a solution. To trust your instincts um, because they will always see you through the most difficult times. And don't ever give up hope. There is always a way forward. And you may not be able to see it. It's a bit like driving a car at night. You can only see where the headlights are showing you, but actually you're going to arrive at the destination that you want to get to. You just have to hold the faith and keep driving with those headlights going in the direction that you want them to go in. If you would like to contact me, like Janet, I'm available. Um, I have Skype and Zoom appointments all over the world, and you can do so via my site, which is www.liliasarmira.com. It's a bit peculiar. I'll spell it. It's L-I-L-I-A-S-A-H-M for mother, E-I-R-A dot com. And my email, if you'd like to contact me directly, is liliasarmira at gmail, that's G-M-A-I-L dot com. And uh, thank you again for listening to us today. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, Janet and Sarah. It's been awesome. And let's see how we can change the world one day at a time. Yes, and the feeling's mutual. It was a joy talking to you and meeting you. Have to come to England sometime now. (laughs) You have to come over to Canada. I would love to. Yeah, you would love it. You would, definitely. And um, I'm going to be in uh, London very soon, so I hope to actually physically meet you. It would be wonderful, Ellis. Um, I would look forward to that. You know, um, I I always celebrate people who have uh, embraced their diversity, you know, embraced the challenge in life. And uh, being a parent, um, you know, of an autistic child, you've certainly gone for your challenges and you've triumphed. Um, You've got children that are living a full life, being very functional, and you've um, piled all this beautiful wisdom of your journeys together so that other people can have a template to follow themselves. So thank you for being so sharing. Um, And I know it's hard at times, but but because of the journey you've taken, you now become that beacon of light for others that are taking the same journey. So thank you so much for, for sharing um, your stories, your wisdom, and being and being that bright light because everybody needs it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. 
And to everyone else out there, please do share this uh, show. You know, pass it on to other people. As I said, your teacher, your friends, um, I guarantee you, you know somebody whose child is autistic um, and a parent is having a hard time. Share this so that they have an understanding of what to do. And don't be afraid to step up to someone and say, do you need help? And uh, that is something that's really beautiful gift to give someone because I guarantee they do. Until next time, folks. Bye for now.